Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of the One Shop Movement Podcast, where we dive deep into the stories of entrepreneurs, business people, anyone that's out there making it happen. Today, we have a very special guest. His name is Rob Moore. Now, I've recently met Rob, or at the start of the year, his podcast, The Disruptive Entrepreneur, was one of the inspirations for me to kickstart my podcast. He has actually one of the biggest business podcasts in the world, where some episodes get downloaded a million times, but he's an extremely high-level entrepreneur, best-selling author to eight books. He's actually published 16 books with another three to four on the way at the moment. He's also made extreme wealth through property where he actually owns, co-owns, manages over 850 places uh, in his business, Progressive Property. He's also an educator where they run a lot of education events. He's also a hands selected social media influencer for Facebook. I believe there's less than 20 of those in the world where they're trying new uh, different features with these high-level entrepreneurs. We do something very unconventional here where Rob actually has me on his show where I actually get a chance to interview him to his audience, which is around 300,000 people. So sit back and enjoy this conversation with Rob Moore. For everyone, uh, welcome to the One Shop Movement podcast where we dive deep into the stories of entrepreneurs, business people, anyone that's out there making it happen and we are here with the amazing Rob Moore who's, uh, we're going to be interviewing him about all things business, entrepreneurship. He's got an incredible story for my listeners that don't know much about Rob. He's a best-selling author who's a best-seller of eight books. He's published 16, moving into 20. He's a property expert. And, and build extreme wealth through property and he co-owns or manages over 850 properties and he's, he's involved in a few massive developments now. He'll fix the numbers on all that. He's got one of the biggest and best podcasts in the world uh, where some episodes even receive over a, a million downloads, I believe. Um, he's one of Facebook's hand-selected experts to test dummy all their new features. So we have got the best of the best of the best entrepreneurs to uh, talk to us today. So welcome to the show, Rob. Thank you, Craig. Nice to see you, everyone. And um, look, I always like to invite the guests. I don't probably do the, the introduction justice. I'd like you to just fill out a bit about your entrepreneurial journey, what's inspired you to get to where you are today. Sure. Um, so my entrepreneurial journey started when I was six. Um, and what probably inspired me the most to want to be an entrepreneur is my dad. So my dad got me working in his pub at the age of six. He got me replenishing the shelves, replenishing the shelves with all the bottles and the fridges and um, re redoing all the beer kegs, uh, cleaning the pipes. Uh, we used to call it bottling up back then. Uh, and he'd get me emptying the pool tables, the fruit machines, the pinball machines and the tills. Um, and instead of just telling me what to do, he'd be like, right, son, what was the take last night? How did we do? And it really made me feel almost like his partner in his businesses. And of course, I was only six years old. Uh, and so all the way through until my early teens, I was heavily involved in working for him. Some evenings, some mornings, some weekends. And of course, that's not normal, is it, working from that young? But I didn't see it as work. I loved it. And my dad was able to teach me a lot of things about being an entrepreneur. 
through working with me but really all the time I was just looking up to him oh I want to be like dad I want to be like dad dad's a millionaire dad's a hustler I didn't know what those words meant but you know I, I know that looking back um I lost my way though in my teens to mid-20s so probably I'd say about 10 years in the wilderness and sometimes you know I racked up 50,000 pounds worth of debt and sometimes people think you get into debt with one or two bad decisions but actually, debt can build up on you quite slowly over quite a long period of time. That's what happened to me. So I was only spending a little bit more than I earned each week. Dad would give me 200 quid cash in hand. He'd pay me, um, you know, when I was working full time in his pub in my um, early 20s or, or 100 quid a week when I was doing part time. And I'd always just spend a little bit more and the debt would build and build and build. Now, I wasn't really interested in any of the subjects at school, but I did work hard to get good grades. I wasn't interested in my subject at uni, but I did work hard towards the end to get a good grade. But for me, getting good grades were only about not wanting people to think that I was a failure, um, you know, or that I was stupid. Um, and really, they're the wrong motivations. I know that looking back. Um, no one really ever sat me down and said, Rob, what do you want to do with your life? Rob, you know, what what one thing could you do that you would be a, a career, but also a passion, a vocation and a vacation? A profession and a passion no one ever asked me that and no one ever told me to ask myself that um, and that's what I tell a lot of people now that they should ask themselves every single day who am I what do I want to do with my life you know what's my unique talents and genius what do I want to do with my life what's my purpose what's my passion how could I turn it into a profession what do I want to do with my life I think if you ask that enough you're going to get some really good answers and it took me a few years of asking that um, and so 10 years and I've racked up 50 grand's worth of debt. I got stuck in the school and education system. Not, by the way, I'm not a knocker of the system. If you want to be a doctor, a dentist, a lawyer, then you probably do want to go to university. You probably do want to follow the proven path. But if you want to be a disruptive entrepreneur, which is the title of my podcast, if you want to set up a business in something that is non-standard, that they probably don't teach at school or university, then school and university may not give you the skills that you need. And it didn't me. So really, I had more skills at 10 than I did at 24, which was a bit weird. I could hustle. I could sell um, at 10, but I couldn't at 24. Um, and then on December the 15th, 2005, um, when I was, ju I was just almost turning 26, my dad had a massive nervous breakdown in his pub. Um, long story short, because lots of my um, followers have heard me say this many times, but... Um, he got quite badly beaten up by the police because it was a bit of a fracas and they were young and scared and he would, you know, he had a, he was having a nervous breakdown and I don't think they understood what he was doing. I think they just thought he was being aggressive. Um, they sectioned him, they arrested him. We, we didn't really see him for months. This was 15 years ago and that was his first of maybe four episodes and each episode lasts about two to three years. Um, and that's his birthday, December the 15th. And he worked every birthday and every Christmas and every New Year's Eve and every New Year's Day. And, you know, he, he got up at 6 a.m. and would go to bed at 1 a.m. And, and I don't know, he had the odd Monday off, but hardly any time off. And um, honestly, I felt responsible that dad had always given me money or loaned me money or even when I worked, he employed me. So all my money came through my parents and they supported me in all of my endeavors. They let me do what I want. They gave me freedom. Um, and I felt I really let them down. I felt like I didn't step up to who I was supposed to be. I felt that um, 
you know, I was lost. I was scared. I was, um, I had a bit of a chip on my shoulder. I didn't want to learn from people. I was bitter, jealous, envious, embarrassed, scared of being rejected. I was, and all, all these emotions I didn't understand and they would manifest in really defensive ways that people would see as ego. Um, and then this day and then a, a good week of introspection and beating myself up, it really changed me to start thinking, what do I do? want to do with my life and um, how do I make something of my life? And, you know, look, fast forward to now. And like you said, I've, uh, I own, co-own, manage over 850 properties. We're developing two blocks, which is about 100 and it'll be between 135 and 150 units. Um, so, you know, they're, they're, they're decamillion pound projects. Um, like you said, 17, 18 and 19 book coming out. My podcast is one of the, uh, you know, the most downloaded um, in the UK in in the business arena. Um, I've got world records hundreds of million pounds, hundreds of millions of pounds of revenue and um, tens of millions of pounds in profits, um, you know, in those short years. But I wouldn't say they are my greatest accomplishments. They're just external accolades. I would say my greatest accomplishments were retiring my parents, giving them my house. Um, and whilst they choose to work for me when they want, they don't have to. I would say my one of my greatest accomplishments Accomplishments is the um, hundreds of thousands of pounds I've raised for various charities through my um, Facebook stars and social media influence that I have. And um, I run events and donate. One event I raised £140,000 for charity. Um, so I'm more proud of those than I am the personal accolades. Um, yeah. Uh, Craig has just said, am I happy, though? Um, I don't think the purpose of life is happiness. I think happiness is the reward for the challenges that you overcome. So uh, if you think about a happiness feeling, I think there's four main happiness chemicals, endorphins, dopamines, oxytocin. Um, did I say endorphins? There's, there's four. Um, and I think if you define happiness, you could go anywhere from a satisfaction, contentment, elation, um, arousal. Um, you could have deep, rooted um fulfillment and worth you could have transient um fleeting happiness and, and comparison um so i think that the purpose of life is growth and overcoming challenges and i think that happiness is the um reward for overcoming those challenges so to answer craig's question honestly overall am i um happy enough and do I feel satisfaction and contentment and that I've created value? Yes, I do. Do I still get frustrated? Yes. Do I want more? Yes. Do we have challenges to overcome every day? Yes. Um, do I still want growth? Is, do I feel that there's, there could be more to my life than what I've um, you know, achieved so far? Definitely, yes. Would I want that to ever end? No. Why would I? Do I want to wake up today and go, the happiest I've ever been is in the past? Uh, there is no more growth. Everything that you've achieved, you want to achieve. So now you can just meditate and skip down the street and get in a circle and hold hands with people and sing Kumbaya. And um, no, no, that's that's just not me. Um, am I more okay with and content with who I am and accepting my own flaws and weaknesses? I would say yes. 
anyway, Craig, I took um, Craig. I took another <laughs> Craig question there. Um, I could go on about that, but um, yeah. yeah. No, I think, and, and I just weigh, weigh into a little bit about that because I totally relate to it. Like you, you talk about a moment that changed your life in um, 15 years ago. Like for me, business was good. I had five gyms. I set up 22 franchises. I was, you know, doing well financially. And my wife and I were looking to become first-time parents and we had a stillborn baby just before birth. And that um, was what's now six years later helped me manifest and I've moved into from making money into contribution and giving back and I say in the book you know life is made of moments and one moment can change your life and I always say to people I don't want to be the richest man in the cemetery so I turn my money into memories and that's something that you were just talking about there Um, so yeah do you uh, relate to some of that conversation? Yeah, I think there's nothing wrong with wanting to make money, especially if you're in debt. There's nothing wrong with being um, at times selfishly motivated, i.e. I want to retire my parents. I want to get out of debt. I want to put my kids to a good school. I want to have a nice house. I want to um, have a nice cup. There's nothing wrong with that. And I think too many people think that being at times selfishly and, and, and locally motivated financially is a bad thing. I don't think it's a bad thing. I just don't think you can be that exclusively. And what I found, I mean, I've, I've interviewed three billionaires in the last six days. I've interviewed hundreds of people who are worth 100 million and more. Um, and, and we all seem to agree when we say that um, you get to a certain level where you don't need any more. And you can want more. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that, where you maybe switch a bit from being um, equally or more selfishly motivated to equally or more selflessly motivated. And when you've made 10 grand in a day, 100 grand in a day, you know, a a million in a week or whatever your biggest numbers are, you know, to to equal that sense of happiness, you've got to make, you know, 100 million in a week. But you could give 10 pounds to someone struggling and that's always going to feel really good. Um, So um, I definitely do spend more of my time contributing. I do loads of little things as well as big things because I want people to understand this is really important. I've not really said it like this, but you can look at people who've got philanthropic organizations, charities, foundations. I have. I've got the Rob Moore Foundation. You can look at people who make a massive difference and give away millions, hundreds of millions. But you don't have to contribute that way. You can contribute every day. You can pick up the phone and find someone who's struggling and spend 15 minutes listening to them. And by the way, I do that. Um, probably 15 times a week, and it feels amazing, mm. amazing. You can give five or 10 pounds. You can give your time. You can support one person. Um, and while, whilst everyone's looking for a million views and looking to reach loads of people, you can actually only help people one person at a time. And someone's put here, and I, I like this comment from Simon because I'm going to tag on to this. He said, contentment is to have gratitude and give back. Well, Gratitude is definitely an emotion I'm trying to spend a lot more time feeling. Mm. You can't be grateful and depressed, stressed, or any other negative mo- emotion at the same time. And, you know, no matter what is going on in your life, um, if you are grateful, then I think you turn your problems into opportunities. Mm. Um, it's very easy to get stuck in first world problems. So um, we just had flooding here yesterday and um, you know, we, we, we've probably got £25,000 worth of damage. Um, I have a very expensive hi-fi. 
Um, it's about £250,000, and I moved it from one room to another, which is a massive operation. It'll take, it took us three months of faffing around, and we've got it all set up, and it doesn't sound right. So I've got to move it back. Um, I spent a year trying to sort out sofas for a, my living room. They're very expensive sofas, and they got delivered last week, and they're the wrong colour. And, um, you know, like I'm, I, everyone listening will go, Rob, you're an absolute idiot if you get upset or angry or frustrated around those very first world problems. But I use those as good examples because that's what happens. Mm. And you're not human uh, unless, you know, you have these negative emotions. So um, in terms of happiness, fulfillment, growth, relating to uh, what you said, Cray, yeah, I'm trying to spend more time feeling grateful, more time giving back, more time helping other people. I'm trying to equally balance the selflessness of my foundation and you know, I'm speaking for the Prince's Trust in a few weeks time. Um, but it's also okay to be selfishly motivated. I make hundreds of thousands of pounds a year from these books you can see behind me. Nothing wrong with that. If I want to run ads on my podcast, nothing wrong with that. If I want to charge for my products and services, nothing wrong with that. And I think there is a little bit too much especially in this lockdown, oh, it's a bad thing to charge for your work and oh, entrepreneurs and business owners and billionaires, they're greedy. Um, I, I think that just shows a real lack of understanding of how money works. And ultimately how money works is the more value you give to others, the more value you're going to create for yourself, the more wealth you create for other people, the more wealth you're going to create for yourself. Um, you can't control the economy, but you can control your economy. Yeah. And just on um, a conversation I've heard you have before and, you know, I spent probably, you know, the best part of half a million dollars on my own personal growth over my journey in entrepreneurship and you've doubled or tripled that and you, you say that you're a... Um, a, a junkie in a way and it's better being a, a seminar junkie than a heroin junkie but um, that there for me is if I'm trying to help someone grow and evolve as an entrepreneur and that message isn't sinking in how important is you know your business grows to where you grow but how how would you put it to someone that's listening that's hasn't quite bought into self-help and personal development mm. So um, one of my mentors taught me that your business will only grow at the speed that you grow. Um, so I would say probably right bang at the start of 2006, stroke end of 2005, um, I had this epiphany. Um, and pre-05, I would quite happily spend £500 on a suit that would be worth 100 quid in a year. I would buy hi-fi equipment new that would go down by two-thirds in value. Um, by the way, the quarter of a million pound hi-fi I have, um, I, buy, I buy secondhand. And if I were to, you know, break the parts up and sell the hi-fi, I'll probably get most, if not all, of my money back. In fact, I've made on some of my speakers in the past. So I don't want people to think this is, you know, gross misappropriation of funds. It's just moving money from one place to the other and getting enjoyment out of it. I find it fun to try and find bargains, to buy stuff secondhand. I got this McQueen shirt. Um, 40% off. Some people will probably say, yeah, that's, that's still too expensive. Um, but actually, that was because I learned to respect money and I didn't respect money um, before 2005. So I would buy things that went down in value. I wouldn't see any kind of self-investment as an investment. I wouldn't buy any courses or books or anything like that. I'd see it as um, the thing with me back then is if, you, if I did, you didn't get something physical for your money, like a TV to hang on the wall, it, it didn't seem real. 
And then there was this really random thing that happened. So uh, Martin, who used to rent my room off me because I couldn't afford my own mortgage, um, he was moving out and doing a clear out of his um, room and he had some CDs under his bed. And he gave me these CDs of a singer songwriter. You know, you've got Jack Johnson and all those kind of people. Well, there was this big box of CDs of a singer songwriter. And I'd never heard of this guy before. And I thought, oh, that's all right. Because I always used to listen to music a lot while like doing my painting when I was an artist. Um, but the singer songwriter was called Tony Robbins, who I'd never heard of before. And I put this CD <laughs> on and it's not a singer songwriter. It's this big, loud American blurting out all this self-help. And, you know, for the first CD or two, I was a bit English. I listened to him shouting and screaming. Who does he think he is? He's so positive. It's all false and fake and American. But it got in and it got through and I was sold. And then I learned that actually you are the best investment that you could ever make. Invest in yourself wisely. You pay yourself the best interest. If you're going to get addicted to anything, why wouldn't it be personal development? Why is self-help wrong? You know, so many people look down their nose at self-help. Well, what's wrong with helping yourself, improving yourself, personal development? What is wrong with developing your person? Um, and I've definitely found it to be true that you only grow at the speed your business grows. Um, and while sales and marketing and recruitment and HR and vision and strategy, they're all vital in business. Dealing with conflict, managing your emotions, having empathy, leading people. These are all the skills that billionaires tell you you need in business. And they're all personal, human based skills, not strategic ones like sales and marketing. Mm. And you just touched on mentors then. And again, I, I was lucky to strike a bit of luck when I was 21 in my first business, a fitness club. One of my clients became my mentor, who he still is today uh, in, in regards to advice. What would you say and how have mentors and contacts helped you progress throughout your journey? Oh, I mean, it's undeniable that mentors, courses, people who have helped me in a mastermind environment, like, you know, the, the, the peer group of successful people, um, you know, the retreats that I've done around the world, there's no doubt that they have made possibly the biggest difference. Because, I mean, let's be honest, our, our personalities are formed when we're quite young. And whilst we can improve our skill set um, and we can develop our mindset, the fundamentals of our personality, I reckon, are probably pretty set from probably quite a young age. Um, so, sorry, can you just ask me the question again? Because looking at all oh, the comments, I'm distracted yeah, myself. In regards to ben, like ben, how ben who's, ben, who's helping us behind the scenes. Ben, put some of the comments up. Come on, let's see them. <laughs> yeah, uh, how connections and can open doors and mentors can help guide you and navigate you through situations and how important they've had your journey. Thank you. Um, right. So, um, yeah, for me, before 2005, I had no mentors. I had no um, sages or influences that were very successful in business or personal development. Um, and whilst I've just said I had no mentors, I did have a peer group of people who wanted to go out and get drunk and could down a pint in five seconds, you know, <laughs> and to spend their Thursday, their Friday, their Saturday and their Sunday nights going out and then staying in bed till three o'clock in the afternoon, hanging, having a hangover and then meeting up again. And, you know, they say you are the sum of the people you hang around with. And I was. So actually I was being influenced. And I, I guess I did have mentors. They just weren't successful in, in the areas that I um, wanted to be successful in post-2005. Post-2005, I bit my, met my business partner. I st started getting mentors from 2006. And my results dramatically changed. But I am and was and still is 
probably 95% still the same personality, the same person. So I think that's fundamental evidence that mentors, accountability, um, and you know, having a, a mastermind of smart people who are where you want to be. I think that that is um, probably one of the most important fundamentals of success. The, the billionaire um, I interviewed today, um, he said he got into the restaurant business and he had no idea about the restaurant business. He'd never run a restaurant. He set up a franchise. Um, I mean, he's got thousands of stores. His market capitalization is billions. His turnover is billions. He is a billionaire. Um, and he said he can hire smart accountants, smart lawyers, smart tax advisors. He doesn't necessarily have to know the business he's in. What he does is build teams. Uh, and I think that's what a lot of billionaires do. So um, for me, my job is to align myself with people smarter than me, learn from people who've been there before me, learn from people who've made the mistakes, standing on the shoulders of giant, giants and leveraging the mistakes and the results of others. Yeah, and, and you've done extremely well in property, um, you know, and that was, that's been where I probably made my most wealth. Um, so it was always generate cash for, from business and invest it in property, and I've been doing that for 20 years. What's your um, model around property? Is it uh, rental? Is it uh, commercial? Is it developments? Um, a bit of everything. What do you do in the property space? Obviously, education too. Yeah, all of the above. So um, we started in 2006. We bought pretty much 20 buy-to-lets. Um, I, um, I actually managed to get into property without any deposit pot, without my own money. I was, like I said, 50 grand in debt when I started because um, I partnered up with Mark, my business partner, and he put the funds in in the early deals. And then we borrowed from his mum, and then we borrowed from his stepdad, then we borrowed from my mum, then we borrowed from my stepdad. And at the time when Mark and I bought our first house, we didn't know those funds were available for people who might say, oh, well, it's all right for you. You had family money. We didn't when we started. Um, so we started buying just lots of buy-to-lets and we went really low-end, cheap, you know, single-family dwellings, one, two-bed flats, two, three-bed houses. And we bought hundreds of them. Um, but when we bought enough whereby it got a bit boring or we felt that the yields and the returns were quite low for the, the time that we put in and we couldn't really have economies of scale, we started then with multi-lets to get more rooms and bigger square footage out of the units. Um, then we were buying pubs that were disused, um, old police stations and offices and converting them into flats. Some we sold, some we kept. Um, and now we're into bigger retail. So, you know, we're buying department stores. Um, and then building floors on top and either retaining retail at the bottom or selling the retail off and then keeping all the, the development. So all of the above. I guess what we've done um, is we've kind of ascended up from the, the simple and the lowest barrier to entry all the way up to the more complicated. And, you know, 100 unit developments, there's planning permission. You have to have noise officers. You know, there's all sorts of regulations you have to get around. Of course, the health and safety, um, it just getting a crane in. Um, it's just, you know, it's far more complicated. Um, but what the latest development we've got will be worth, I don't know, 18 to 22 million, depending on the market, um, about um, 75,000 square foot, 100 units, um, which in central London, just an hour away, would probably be worth 10 times that. So it gives you a bit of an idea of the scale of it. Um, just because, you know, that's the level we're at now. And I think it's always nice, isn't it, in property and business to feel like you're progressing. So you want to write a better book. You, you want to um, interview even more interesting guests. You want your turnover to go up. Who wakes up and goes, I want to get worse guests. I want my turnover to go down. 
Um, I want to do less today. No one does. I, I think it's just important to find things that you're passionate about, which is obviously what you're passionate about. Um, so for me, property, business, personal development, training, education. We only started running training seminars and events and education when we bought loads of property ourselves and had experience. Um, you know, some of the critics say there are those that can do and those that can't teach. Well, I will add there are those that do and teach. And they're probably quite a rare breed, but we are one of those rare breed. I found that I love teaching, training and building a training business. We have the UK's largest property training company now, Progressive Property, yet we've still kept it personal, still kept it a, a real community feel, which again, I think is, is more of an accolade to say we've kept it a community personal feel than to say it's the biggest training company. So we've got, I think we've got about eight different income streams in the property and business spaces. Yeah. And just uh, to move a little bit, you just touched on books there. I'm uh, just launching my first book, which is a little bit um, personal because it, it is, I start off talking about having a stillborn baby and rising through adversity and challenge to live a meaningful life. So it's got, you've got one shot at life, go and give it your best shot, whatever it is for you to climb the corporate ladder, to have a podcast, whatever, whatever. What are three things that if you were launching a book that you've done through your 16 book launches that um, people should do first off craig i want to say congratulations on your book um and what i think is um my i'd be so bold to approach this subject um yeah with with the intense sadness of what you must have gone through um it's kind of beautiful that the birth of your book might carry on the legacy mm. um and that, that gives me chills just thinking about that so it's nice to be part of that moment with you um I think that it's really important that um, we turn adversity into something meaningful. Otherwise, that adversity can break us. Um, so I just wanted to mention that. Yeah. Um, and I like the angle of your question because, like yourself, when I interview someone on a podcast, I always ask at least one very selfish question. I, <laughs> I personally want to get the answer. It doesn't really matter about the audience because that's our role because we are the, the, the interviewer. Um, so for me, the first thing is you've got to write a good book. Um, and I, I, I listen to lots of books. I say listen because I, I prefer to listen than read. And there are quite a few Me Too books. And there are quite a few books that are just regurgitating all the, the common stuff. And, and, and we're all influenced and that's great. But, you know, ultimately a great book with a great title and a great concept. That's the most important thing. Now, I'm hoping that your book is that and you've already written that. So that's hopefully a tip. But, you know, some people are trying to think more about the marketing than the actual quality. And to be great and to do good work and great content is often as good an answer to how do you grow your social media? How do you sell loads of books and how do you launch big? That being said, if you give away a really great bonus on the day of your launch of your book, give people an incentive to buy your book on launch day, you're going to sell a lot more. So, you know, I've got, like you said, I've. Um, I mean, it might even be more than eight books to in the top three in all books, some number one, or all of them, the top in all their niches. Um, in fact, I'd say our biggest claim to fame is not being number one in all books in the world. It's being number four because we were we had a property book that went to number four and number one was Fifty Shades of Grey. Number two was Fifty Shades of Grey. Two. Number three was Fifty Shades of Grey. Three. And I think getting a property book to number four behind Fifty Shades of Grey, one, two and three is a a bigger claim and the way that we did that because really that's unreasonable we shouldn't have been able to sell so many 
is we gave away a really great um, seminar that people could attend when they bought the book on, on launch day. So we gave them a really good incentive to buy the book on the day. Sometimes we'll discount the book um, and, and you discount it 50% max. That does cause other challenges that you want to look into with Amazon about selling it in the future. So you may not want to do that. Um, the next thing is you've got to get it on all social media channels. Because the great thing now is you can market your book on TikTok, on um, WhatsApp, on your podcast, on YouTube, on LinkedIn, on Facebook page, on Facebook profile, in Facebook groups, Snapchat, Snapchat, Twitter, email database, partners, list rentals, Amazon ads, Google ads, Facebook ads, YouTube ads. So if you spend a bit of time um, partnering up with some people or working out how to get on all of those channels, then um, you're going to have multiple um, lead sources, you know, multiple routes to market. And um, I've never got a book to number one, just market it on one platform. I've always got a book to number one, multi marketing it on multiple platforms. Um, and you, your pre-launch is really important. So the sooner you let people know about the book and you create some buzz and excitement. So, you know, like when Ferrari announced a new model, but it's all a bit of a secret. And there was there's some mystery photographs. Is that the new Ferrari or not? Oh, they've wrapped it in this funny wrap to, so that we can't really see the, you know, the contours of it. We're not sure about the launch day or when Apple are they launching a new iPhone? Have, have the photos been leaked? All of this, I, I'm, I'm convinced that sometimes that's part of the pre-launch mm. just to get everyone talking. And that the sooner you build a, a pre-launch desire and you get people talking about your book, it will just sell loads on the day. Thank you for that. And uh, let's talk a little bit about social media because you are hand-selected by Facebook, so you must certainly know what you're doing in that space. But I did listen to one of your podcasts or one of your trainings on social media content and uh, what gets the most engagement, which uh, led me to do my own test on my opinion on the social divide of what COVID's done to them. Um, in terms of people that, you know, at one end is con hardcore conspiracy theories, the other end are the complete nutter, believe whatever the mainstream media says, and there's two groups in the middle. And it got shared 120 times um, on, on Facebook, which is probably one of the most I've ever been shared, other than sharing my personal experience about losing Ethan. Uh, so you talk a bit about, you, you interview billionaires, but sometimes uh, talk talking about relevant news or ranting even if you're doing it alongside your brand is important. Do you want to talk a little bit about social media content? Yeah. So I've worked out maybe around 20 different types of posts that uh, generally do well on social media. Um, so, for example, um, case studies of successful students. This is what I did. This is what I learned. Newsjacking, engagement jacking, controversy, polarization, etc. Um, now, there are a lot of social media influencers who have figured out what does well on social media. But I think that they're, that they're too much about engagement jacking, newsjacking and comments and shares for the sake of comments and shares. So I think you've got to strike a balance because on the other side of it, 
I have written proven good content and it's had hardly any engagement. Proven because I posted it in one of my private groups and it got really good feedback. And then I posted it on my page and it got virtually no reach. So the game you're playing, the dance you're dancing, and this I believe is a, a commercial reality of being on social media. If you want to use it to grow your brand and your businesses, on the one hand, you just want to give good content. You don't want to have to have any gimmicks or news or engagement jacking. You just want to post good content. But the algorithms are doing their thing and social media have their own definition of what makes good content. And, and you're probably wise to get a kind of middle ground. So I remember posting a full chapter of uh, my book, Money. So that book, which is right above my finger there, my book, Money. Um, I posted a whole chapter, one of the best chapters in the book, and it reached one person. <laughs> Facebook deemed, I guess they deemed the content was too long or the time was wrong or whatever, but it got reach of one, uh, one out of 140-ish thousand people. And then I did a test and wrote, do you sleep naked? And that got reach of hundreds of thousands of people. Just a farcical post on purpose to prove actually that in some respects, the algorithms are, are gameable. And to some, I'm not going to say they're a joke. They're not a joke. And like you said, Facebook have given me supporter feature, star feature, Facebook live feature. They literally give me all the new features in the first 20 in the world. So I love Facebook. I'm not knocking them. And by the way, I'm not just talking about Facebook. There's LinkedIn and Instagram and everything else. Um, but I think there's a mid middle ground. So the middle ground, I would say, is this. About 80% of the time, post good, meaningful content that speaks to your ideal client, your niche, you know, you, your business model and space. 80% of the time. Four in five eight out of 10, something like that. And then maybe 10% of the time, be a bit more personal. Talk like, you know, talk about um, the unfortunate um, short life that Ethan had. You know, talk about um, places you're going, things you're thinking. I often talk about therapy sessions, um, you know, that I have with my therapist or, or just a bit of behind the scenes stuff because mm. people like that. 5% of the time, sell. And too many people are doing all this content marketing and they're never selling because they're scared about selling. There's nothing wrong with selling. Um, and look, at the end of the day, people who follow me are entrepreneurs. You're an entrepreneur. I'm an entrepreneur. Never be ashamed or embarrassed or um, backward about being forwards about selling. But if you sell 50% of the time, you're going to piss everyone off. Yeah. Um, and then 5% of the time, hardcore, unadulterated, unapologetic news jacking. Because what the news jacking does is it wakes up the algorithm. Uh, if you make a post with really good reach, your next few posts may get really good reach. So you want good reach. But if, you, if you're always news jacking, in the end, it blurs into nothingness and people don't take you seriously. If you never news jack or engagement jack, then you could find that your reach goes down and down and down. And all this quality content is getting wasted. Now, for me, all social media, just like all marketing, just like all business, just like all sales, just like all strategy, everything is a test. In sales, they say always be closing. Well, in marketing and business, I say always be testing. So I'm always testing headlines. I'm always testing time of day. I'm always testing video versus text versus image versus quote. I'm always testing the different platforms, same content across multi-platform. I'm always testing. I'm testing the style and the language. So um, I had uh, two posts that semi blew up, probably 500 comments um, between them, where I offered an alternative view 
to the um, apparent injustice of the A-level downmarking. You know, a lot of people were saying we've got to appeal. This is so unfair that people have been downmarked. It is unfair. It does seem unjust. But I said maybe appealing um, against the, the government or, you know, the, the housing, uh, sorry, the um, education department. OK, I see the upsides, but maybe there's downsides. Maybe you won't get anywhere. Maybe now's the, uh, the chance to teach a child about entrepreneurship, about controlling what they can control and not what they can't. And I got a lot of criticism and a lot of stick for that. And people got really offended when all I did was offered an alternative um, upside view. A lot of people would have been worried about that, deleted that, got upset about that and angry about that. But for me, that was just good debate and, and good discussion. Now, could I have wrote it in a more balanced way? Yes. Did I know when I wrote it that I could have been get it could have been a bit of engagement jacking because it was quite blunt and quite, quite direct? Yes. But then what I did was I softened it and rewrote it in a more balanced way, and I'm posting it on LinkedIn tonight. And I'll report back to my community on the results. But I bet you the softer, more balanced, more well-rounded approach to the same points will get way less engagement than the, the more direct one. So 80% of the time, pure content. 10% of the time, personal, you know, so they get to know you. 5% of the time, selling. 5% of the time, in pure engagement jacking. Get, get that algorithm working for you. Mm. And, and just why you just mentioned a really good point there about, you know, um, you bring up uh, a, a thing and it brings out the haters um, often, which that brings out fear in people. Do you think that people are holding back, holding within themselves for fighting for their dreams because of the fear of putting themselves out there? And, um, you know, do you have anything to say on that topic? I know this to be the case um, because I've been serving entrepreneurs and property investors and business owners for, well, a decade, at a good scale and, and 15 years. And I have helped tens of thousands of people. And it, one of the most common things I hear is just that. I fear being judged. I fear being ridiculed. Social media attracts keyboard warriors, keyboard haters, even keyboard cowards. Um, you know, it seems that anyone's got an opinion and they're prepared to say it. And people seem to be very loose and free with um, trolling and defamation. Yeah, I, I would say one in three entrepreneurs I speak to in some form or another have these fears. Maybe all of them. Um, I've never met an entrepreneur that doesn't have any fears. And I do see some people out there saying, oh, well, you know, be fearless. I just think. You can't be fearless um, unless you've got a part of the brain that creates fear. That there's a, there's a, a biological um, evolutionary adaptation of your brain. Um, then we all experience fear, and they say it's not the absence of fear; it's how you manage the fear. Uh, and every successful person I've ever met has those fears, and they do it anyway. If your fears are greater than your dreams, your fears will win. If your dreams are greater than your fears, your dreams will win. Mm -hmm. And I've got way more thick-skinned and rejection-proofed. And, and, and I can handle critics and trolls and haters and punks and wankers way, way, way better. They're the five levels, by the way, the official five letters. <laughs> critics, trolls, haters, punks, wankers. Um, <laughs> outsourced by my community. Um, but... Yeah, I mean, 
I, I can take 95% more shit, hate, vitriol or trolling than I used to be able to. But still every now and again, things get under my skin. And still every now and again, people say things that hurt. And still every now and again, I get judged. And I think that's really unfair. And still every now and again, people newsjack and leverage my name to get YouTube views, to get Facebook views. They, you know, when people do leverage my name and try and um, slander me, it doesn't happen a lot, but it happens enough. Um, you know, they can get 20 times, 50 times more views. So people use it as a, a cheap shot. But that is the cost of success. That is the cost of a reach. I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, how can you expect to help serve millions of people to make tens or hundreds of millions of pounds and not have downside? Mm. How can, I mean, that's just naive to think that you can have all the upside without the downside. So embrace the fear. Understand that hopefully your dreams and goals and vision is bigger than the fear. Everybody has the fear. I was watching a brilliant documentary, the best cricketer in terms of volume of runs that England have ever had, Alistair, Hook, Alistair Cook, nervous before every innings. One of our best turnaround captains who took us from worst ranked player in the world, worst ranked team in the world to one of the best, Nasser Hussain. He felt every test, it was like going out for an exam. Nervous. Mm. Every game. Mm. And, and these are the best. So this is the way it is. So just roll with it, deal with it. And um, in regards to passion and purpose, you're in a very good zone because what you're passionate about is also purpose-driven as well. How is there anything, if someone's out there, they might be sitting in their workspace at the moment, stuck in COVID-19 and they're looking for a new adventure, is there any um, little hack that they can do that you see works well for people to actually identify their passion and purpose? Yeah, so I've done a lot of content on this recently, content about how to quit your job in the shortest possible time, the five stages of retirement, because I've been through them all. Um, so if they follow my page, Rob Moore Progressive, they can find a lot of that content. I'll try and summarize it. I think the first thing is, if you are stuck because you have an illusion of security, i.e. a paycheck, um, you know, or I've got mortgage and car loans and kids through school, I can't take risk. That is a, an illusion created in your mind because what you can do is start a part-time job on the side 10 hours a week, five hours, five, five hours in the week and five hours on the weekend outside of your employment for your side hustle or your part-time business or your second business. Uh, and you can just be consistent with those 10 hours for one to three years and you can set a target date one to three years in the future to go part-time or full-time in your new vocation um and it's just really about having a strategy a plan and the desire to do it so i would say that security is an illusion look at lockdown proves that security is an illusion um and we we are we are not very significant as human beings in this universe we think we are i think they've just shown photographs of a weird ring looking um cluster of matter 13 billion light years away <laughs> and that just blows my mind and just makes me think my problems my difficulties the things that i might moan and whinge about they are so insignificant i am so insignificant 
And I, I don't I don't say that to be flippant. Flippant. I think it's, it gives you balance to think like that. It also um, makes your problems insignificant. Mm -hmm. So I think that you've got to have a strategy and plan. You can work part time or work evenings and weekends. You've got to set a, a target date to go part time and then full time. One to three years is achievable or two to five years, whatever. If you're consistent, you'll get there in the end. Every winner was once a beginner. Every master was once a disaster. I think you should seriously pursue the things that inspire you and you're passionate about. Uh, and I think you should ask yourself every morning and every evening, who am I and what am I meant to do with my life? Where are my unique talents and genius? You, you know, where can I serve vast numbers of people and get my own sense of fulfillment and, um, you know, and growth and, and, and happiness? Um, because it, it, in those answers is the right business model. People are always asking, what was the best way to make money? What's the best business model? Well, doing something you love, serving vast numbers of people, um, that's probably one of the best business models. Uh, and there are people that do all sorts of weird and wonderful things and make a lot of money doing it because they're passionate about it and they want to serve people doing it. And if you're not passionate about something, you're not interested in serving someone else. You do it with resentment. But when you're passionate and enthusiastic about some, something, you want to serve it, create it and make it for others. And you want them to experience that passion. You know, a great cook, a great artist, a great designer, you know how passionate they are with their clients and how much they want to serve their clients. They, they feel like they get to do this rather than they've got to do this. Um, and so this is why I, one of the reasons why I'm, I love what you do and I wanted to take this interview is because I believe that through passion and purpose, that's where you convert your latent talent and genius into profit. Mm, well said. And just on the current circumstance with COVID, I always talk to people about you've got, you know, a, an action and then the second and third tier consequences that happen with it. So the government can make a decision to lock you down and the second and third tier consequences, people lose their jobs, people lose their businesses. That means the third tier consequence might be the CBD is em empty, so the shop at the bottom goes bankrupt. How do you see COVID the impact and where do you see it moving over the next 12 months? Sure. Well, one thing is important to say, I think, is the second and third stage consequences can be very positive as well. Mm. So I just spoke to a billionaire who's got one of the biggest burger franchises in Australia and Canada. He's got 700 outlets in Japan. Um, and he said, well, when COVID happened, way more people were ordering out or ordering in, you know, so they were getting home delivery or ordering in or doing takeout. Um, and so his business is more profitable than it's ever been. My business is more profitable this been, than it's been since 2016, because now I'm de delivering events online with much lower overhead. So I think it's important to say second and third tier consequences can be very good too. Now, where I think I'm misunderstood a little bit, and I'm, I'm just going to give myself the opportunity here to just hopefully help some of the critics understand me a bit better because, you know, when I say, look, take personal responsibility and, um, you know, control what you can uh, only you can control. Sometimes they translate that to mean, oh, yeah, but some people are underprivileged. Some people haven't got it as easy as you. Some people can't be as positive. You know, some people are, uh, you know, in working class, lower value areas. Yes, I get that. Many people haven't had the same upbringing and opportunity. If they knew a lot of my story, they'd realize I, I've got quite a working class background, too. Um, but at the same time, 
you can moan, you can whinge, you can blame, you can defend, you can justify, you can complain. No matter what your upbringing, you can do all that or you can take hardcore personal responsibility. And do you know what? Often the most underprivileged, the most challenged people, they're the ones that step up and take the most hardcore responsibility because they get to the point where they've got no other choice. So when I um, share content that might seem a bit insensitive, it's not insensitive. I just want you to be personally responsible. I want you to be in control. I want you to be the master of your own destiny and moaning and complaining and defending and justifying and campaigning that is that is an external locus of control internal locus of control is how do i leverage covid how do i leverage the lockdown how do i spot the opportunity now to, to now directly answer your question here greg well look every industry has been affected in a very different way hasn't it in, in covid so i can't say a carte blanche this is what you do to turn it into opportunity because retail or fashion or leisure you know, or, or I mean, look, a lot of businesses have really thrived. Delivery businesses, e-commerce businesses. I've got um, my sister's um, husband. His brother is killing it because he sells bikes and, and his business has just gone through the roof. So here's what I'm going to say. There are upsides in all downsides. There are upsides in recessions. There are upsides in viruses. There are upsides in lockdowns. There are upsides in quarantines. And I'm not saying that you should be um, in a, 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 um, a piranha uh, and, you know, looking to take advantage at the expense of others, which, again, is what critics sometimes say. What you should do is what's the new opportunity? Mm. Who are my new customers? Mm. What do my existing customers want and need now that they didn't need three months ago? Who are my future clients? Where's my future business? How has the world changed? What are the new opportunities that could be my future business? When you ask those questions enough and you answer them, then you leverage the opportunity. And actually, your business will probably be stronger, fitter, more robust, more profitable when you answer those questions. Now, sometimes it takes you weeks, months, maybe even years to find the answer, depending on your niche, depending on you. But if you keep asking those questions, now, I asked those questions for four weeks and then we lucked out because we already had loads of uh, assets of information that we could convert into online training. But if the restaurant owners asked those questions quickly, they could convert from restaurant to um, home delivery. That's the answer. Hmm. Yeah. And uh, like for me, I'm normally doing live events in uh, 20 weeks a year traveling around the world and I can't travel. So this year I had my goal to launch my podcast and, you know, have 10 episodes in advance. At the moment I'm doing, you know, I'm probably up to 100 episodes already uh, interviewing people like yourself. Uh, I've launched an e-commerce e course. Um, so I've just tried to go into a different direction, starting to go into another book. So, you know, you just got to uh, not sit back and make wait for it to happen. You just go out there and make it happen. Um, what, just at the end of every episode, we always ask those rapid fire questions. So what book would you say has made the biggest impact in your life? Think and Grow Rich at the start. Arnold Schwarzenegger's, Schwarzenegger's Total Recall biography, autobiography in the middle. And whilst it hasn't changed my life, the best book I've listened to in the last three months was 50 Cent, also known as Curtis Jackson's 
hustle harder, hustle smarter. There you go, there's three. Cool. What about the best bit of advice you've received? I've had this advice many times from people in different guises, but it's along the lines of don't work hard, work smart. Build a team of experts and lead and guide them. You don't have to have done the job yourself to be able to get the job done. Stand on the shoulders of giants, leverage the talents of others. So if you could summarize all of that up, it's the opposite of the old school. If you want a job done properly, do it yourself. Work 15 hours a day for 10 years to be an overnight success. And you have to outwork everyone to be successful. It's the antithesis of that, which has been the best advice I've ever received. And I'm continuing to receive and I give to others. And your podcast is called The Disruptive Entrepreneur, and you do ask that question, what does disruptive mean to you? So what does it mean to you? The courage to do what others are not yet ready to do, um, to find the new solution to the problem many people don't even know exists yet, to even cannibalize your own current business model for the sake of growing into the future for a bigger and better business model, to be the spearhead and the champion for change, for turning chaos into order, for finding new solutions, serving, solving, scaling. Hmm. And do you have a personal passion? I, I, I understand inside your business education and all that, you can clearly see that's passionate. But do you have a passion? Is it travel? Is it eating out at fancy restaurants? Do you have anything else outside of your day-to-day activities? Yeah, there's loads of things I like to do. Um, I suppose one of my strengths and weaknesses is I like to do lots of things. I think it's quite common with entrepreneurs. We're a bit, oh, like that, like that, like that. We can have the sort of the shiny object syndrome, which, again, some critics say is bad, but that's created me eight income streams and been part of my success. But I love watches. I love cars. I love fashion. Uh, I love vinyl. I love golf. Um, I do like traveling, though, not too much. Um, love hanging out with my family. I love trying new things. I love probably more than anything um meeting really interesting people and having really interesting conversations like this that's probably one of my greatest passions which is why my podcast is just so much fun and you know like this interview with you I've done today I don't see this as work I've retired from um operational work and for me what we've been nearly an hour wow that's like uh, it's almost like you know when you're in that flow state where time stands still I could have these conversations for nine hours a day. So thank you for giving me the opportunity, Craig, to be part of that. Um, And, yeah, I I just love meeting new people and having interesting conversations. I love learning. Um, I love teaching, you know, what I've learned and building communities. And I, I, I love helping people turn their life around. I love listening to audio books. I love listening to podcasts. Yeah, there's lots of things. There's things <laughs> I'm doing which I'm not going to say on a podcast. <laughs> what about uh, what? What advice would you give to a hater, a social media troll? I don't give advice really to anyone. Um, I share what I've learned, what I'm figuring out, what I've figured out, what's worked for me, and try and do that in a way that's non-standard, a bit alternative, and non-conventional. So I've tried to turn haters and critics around in the past. But you know what? I want to help people who want to help themselves. Mm. So my honest answer would be 
I've got nothing to say, really, if they're not interested in getting involved in a debate with an open mind. And a hater isn't interested in that. Now, a critic is. And people often, I'm going to stand up for some critics now. And I want this to be known. And I, I want them to know I give them love too. But people often tar critic with the hater brush. No, I embrace critics. I want them all around me. I don't want a load of yes people. All right, my ego does. But I want people to say, Rob, have you thought about that? Rob, maybe you should slow down on that. Rob, maybe you should do a bit more research there. Rob, have you looked at the downside of that, et cetera? You know, Rob, have you looked at the downside risk of that? And a critic is the one that often does that. So um, I embrace critics. And if someone is open to learning, even if they disagree with me, then I want them involved. Come, come, you're welcome in my community. For someone who just wants to hate for the sake of hating, I would just say, we only have one life and we only have a very finite amount of time. So if you are open-minded to listen, there might be better ways to invest your time. Um, and also, I think that usually when people hate, they are putting out in the world how they feel about themselves and often hurt people hurt people. So if they could just look at where they're hurt, where they're empty, where they feel a failure or they beat themselves up or they feel shame, which we all do. And I have those feelings in areas of my life, too. It's not a criticism. We all have that. Um, if you could heal that and fix that, I reckon you could turn your life around and not be a hater. I mean, no one's going to admit that they're a hater, but who would want to be that? Who would want to be a professional hater? I mean, you know, I don't think it pays well for a start. <laughs> I don't think it's good from an, an energy attraction perspective. Um, yeah. Yeah. And what about next three to five years? Is it to expand more into the education space? Well, I've just retired again for the fifth time. I've retired <laughs> from all operational work within my companies. So the next three to five years, I'm going to do more philanthropic work, more stuff with you know, my foundation, the Prince's Trust, and to, to help as many people on the planet start and scale their business and get a better financial education, um, which is my personal vision and which is what my foundation supports. I'm definitely going to do more podcasts, meet more interesting, inspiring guests. <clears throat> I'm going to do more stuff for myself, which I've not really done. Like my personal life, I've, I've, I've pretty much put that on the back burner for a few years. So, you know, keep upgrading my hi-fi, listen to more vinyl, spend more time with my family, start, do golf again, play pool again. Um, have dinner with friends and you know I've, I've built loads of really cool friends through my podcast billionaires and um, famous celebrities and just really successful people um, people like Kevin Clifton and Jake Wood and Katie Piper and you know Katie Hill these are all really famous people these were huge um, and I want to develop those friendships not that I don't want to develop, develop friendships with non-famous people as well I, I do the same but with people who are in the public eye with people who have really been successful They've experienced the extremities in life and you can learn things from them that you can't from people who haven't. So I find it fascinating and I just love learning from people. So um, my companies are now global. So we're going to grow my companies global. I'm sure with three to five years, my training companies will be 50 million, um, you know, global turnover. We're going to continue to develop our property portfolio, of course. I'm going to probably write one to two books a year still. Um, so whilst I'm retired, I'm only op retired operationally. I'm not retired for my grand vision. Yep. And where do people, oh, it's pretty easy to find you, disruptive entrepreneur across all socials, Rob Moore. Um, anywhere else people should go? So, yeah, my Facebook page, Rob Moore Progressive. Uh, my podcast, The Disruptive Entrepreneur. If you search my name, Rob Moore, on Amazon, you'll find the books, Money, 
start now, get perfect later, life leverage. Um, people can contact me directly. Um, I'm still very much um, engaged in my communities. I reply to many people, often dozens a day. Um, retirement helps with that. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, it's a privilege to help anyone I can. Um, I want to say a huge thank you to you, Craig, and also I really admire how you turned your life around with your trauma. Um, I, I am obviously sorry that that happened to you, but I know that you've seen the upside and turned that into something more meaningful, which I've tried to do with, um, you know, the, the really bad health with my dad. Um, but I think my biggest fear in life is something happening to my children, so I can't even um, begin to imagine how that must feel for you. So um, I have some deep love and respect for you for that. Yeah, and I do say uh, that my biggest challenge in life has become my greatest blessing. And in the eulogy, I, I did say that I will make him proud and I will make sure that he leaves an imprint on the earth. And six years later, we're into full-scale mode with that now. So, um, yeah, Johnny, uh, a friend of yours said, you gotta, if you're going to start a podcast, follow Rob Moore. He does a great podcast, and I did that. So, in a way, you've uh, really inspired me to start um, lifting my game. I have uh, interviewed 100 pretty amazing people like yourself now, and that's, um, yeah, it's just going to grow and grow and from me I really want to thank you for taking the time to um to jump on and let me be on your audience my pleasure Craig for a bit of fun I've never done this before on someone else's podcast so forgive me if I'm stepping yeah. out of turn. go for it should we take a few little questions that we've had on the live yeah, totally why don't we both answer them yep all right let's try and do them quickly but I just I want to um acknowledge the people who are watching live so this one is from I mean, if you're watching live ping them in I think this is a really good one. You go first, Craig. Who are the five people you'd love to have dinner with? Uh, I think Michael Jordan was my hero growing up. Um, so he's definitely one. Um, oh, dead or alive, that would change it. Nelson Mandela would be one. Um, uh, I'm not. I, I'm not inspired by him, but I'm intrigued by Elon Musk. Um, so he's not a hero of mine, but I just would like to. Pick his brain. Um, uh, it's an Australian icon, but um, my sporting team, the Essendon Football Club, the coach, it's coached for premierships. So I'd like to uh, sit down and have dinner with them. And probably Ray Dalio because I got a lot out of his book, Work-Life Principles, and, you know, I do um, often find myself quoting some of his stuff. I think they're really good. I'd love to um, be a voyeur of that, if you wouldn't mind. Okay, Dalai Lama, um, he says he's been meditating for 50 years on compassion. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm really trying to work on being as selfless as I can. So that would inspire me. Jurgen Klopp, because he is so – I mean, I'm a Liverpool fan, but, oh, man, he's changed the premiership. He's just got that radiant charisma. Um, Ronnie O'Sullivan who um, I think we've got agreement for him to be on my podcast, though I, we can't say that for sure. Um, but it's definitely been tentative agreement because I just think he's an inspired genius. Um, and this is really hard to only say five. Arnold Schwarzenegger, I haven't met him and spoken to him for a good length of time, but love a proper private dinner with him to really get in his head. Um, and I'm going to say Mark Zuckerberg and Sheryl Sandberg, the kind of the one-two in Facebook. 
Mark Zuckerberg, I just need him to give me the algorithm for Facebook and stop messing about. <laughs> and Cheryl, Sam, Cheryl Sandberg, you know, who's his number two, really. She's done amazing things at Facebook and her husband died, which is obviously a real travesty. And I'd, I'd just love to um, get to know her. So they're my six. <laughs> All right. Have we got any more coming in? We have here. Um, let's have a look. All right. Um, what's your favourite meal? Uh, one of my passions is experiences, uh, eating at, you know, interesting eating out experiences. So I have had the joy of, you know, the fancy restaurants in New York to, um, uh, I'd, I'd probably... I'd say I really enjoy in Italy eating really authentic Italian food. That lights me up. Yeah. So I'd probably say Thai. Um, there was a brilliant authentic Thai restaurant in Peterborough 15 years ago. I'd probably have to say Thai. Um, cool. All right, then, Simon Fletcher, what was your first car? Oh, it was an LJ Tirana I bought for $250. And mine was an F-Reg white Vauxhall Astra um with a air filter and big bore exhaust <laughs> uh right um tracy has asked what would you say to your 18 year old self um my biggest advice would be to build meaningful relationships and build your connections as quick as you possibly can um so i'd say two things one stop drinking and chasing women um, <laughs> or at least stop doing that as much as you are now i would say rob ask yourself every day who are you what are you meant to do with your life? What are you, your unique talents and geniuses and go and pursue them? So that's what I would say. Uh, right. We've got any more? Um, Christina, one place you haven't been that you'd like to visit? Um, I was supposed to be in Iceland uh, recently and also uh, an African safari in Tanzania. Um, so both of those two I've missed out this year. So I'd like to go to both of them. Okay, I'm going to say three places. I know this is because I haven't been to them. Hawaii, Miami, and I'd love to go to Tokyo. They're probably the three places because um, they're the main places I haven't been. All right, cool. Uh, I'm getting people asking, do I mentor? Can we have chat over Thai food, <laughs> etc." <cetera. laughs> if anyone's watching, you can always private message me. I have retired, so I might not be um, as easy to get out for dinner or um, – or like I might used to be, but I, like I said, I always do my best to reply to people, even though I get hundreds of messages across all platforms, um, probably on a daily basis now, especially emails. Um, but yeah, I, I'm always open to anyone messaging me. All right, I think we're good. Craig, that was a bit of fun. Yeah, no, I really appreciate it. Enjoyed the conversation and um, yeah, look, I, I really align with a lot of what you're doing. So uh, keep it up and um, I'll keep on tuning in. Thank you. And then let's just do a final shout out for your podcast for my community. If you give them your name uh, and the title of your podcast. Yeah, the, the podcast, what the One Shop Movement podcast, uh, it's all around diving deep into the stories of entrepreneurs, business people that are out there making it happen, just like Rob. And I have interviewed a lot of amazing people like Rob, in, you know, including the odd billionaire and sports star. And um, yeah, it's uh, it's a little bit behind where you are, up to 500 and something episodes, but we're on our way. Yeah, well, um, I have learned one thing in business and life. Do not compare yourself to anyone else. Yeah. Um, that is, yeah, that is the curse, I think, of, um, you know, finding your own true voice. What we should probably do, um, Craig, 
is afterwards if you've um, had a billionaire i've had a few let's swap let's swap one let's swap an intro um yeah. i'm fascinated by billionaires and again my critics have been oh, look at that just interview billionaires <laughs> billionaires it's all about billionaires no i i don't think most people understand what it takes to become a billionaire they definitely judge billionaires and um i wrote 16 commonalities in the three interviews i did in the last 16 uh, in the last six days of three billionaires and they are not what most people think they are not empathy you know is common in them all um so uh yeah i think i mean imagine who have you got to become and what have you got to learn and um what have you got to overcome to become a billionaire you know that's that is surely someone worth listening to so um, let's, let's have a billionaire swap <laughs> all right let's uh do that thanks rob thanks craig well, I hope you got a lot of value out of that conversation with Rob Moore. What an incredible entrepreneur doing some amazing things. As you can see, he's done so much in business and achieved so much. He's retired, as he says, in his fifth retirement now, where it's all about just giving back at the moment. So he's moved himself from operation and just doing contribution based activities, things that light him up. Um, so I hope you got a lot of value out of it. And as you can see, Rob gets quite vulnerable where he talks a lot about, you know, the biggest challenge in his life around his dad and that circumstance there, which he touched on in the episode. If you haven't got a copy of my book, you've got one shot. Head over to my website, craigschultz.com, which is just simply my name. Head over there. There's a lot of blog posts at the moment, uh, other valuable content that I'm putting onto that site at the moment. So make sure you head over there and have a bit of a look around. As I always say at the end of every episode, make sure that you give us the reviews, uh, you give us shares, uh, feedback. It's really important to get amazing guests like Rob by people just really showing support for the show. So I want to thank everyone that's doing that. But if, you, if you're a newbie to the show, make sure that you do give us that review. And as I always say, live life with passion and purpose. If you only get one shot at life, go out there and give it your best shot. My name's Craig Schultz and I'm the host of the One Shot Movement podcast.